He looks like he's part GI Joe, part Spider. He does. Yeah. He, he's like a. He's like if if Storm Shadow and no, not Storm Shadow. If Snake Eyes and you know uh, Spider Man had a baby, it would mm-hmm. be Deadpool. Except he would be immortal. Dodge this. I am the father. I'm here on a mission of mercy. There's only one God, man, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Let's put a smile on that face. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the real world. This is episode 131 of the Movie Bite Podcast, a show where we talk about movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, and so much more. Our voices are right now being converted to digital sound files so that we can stream this episode to you on this fine Thursday, April the 2nd, 2015. I am Joe Darnell. I am your host. And joining me today is an ex-hitman from who's returned from the underworld, Mr. Mikey Fizzle. Ooh, scary guy. Where's your guns? Hey, I'm just here. <laughs> yeah, and show me your guns. How many do you uh, carry? Um, well, I always walk down the street with at least two, but they're concealed and I do have a permit. <laughs> you know, I got the impression this guy does not carry a permit. Uh, well, you know, I had to go to... A, actually, I teach concealed carry classes now. Um, oh, because when you walk right. around with, with guns like this, I mean... And, and, I like to be within the law. I'm a rule follower, Joe. Yeah, and you use your puppy dog to uh, show tricks in class and you know demonstrate like how to walk the dog across the street and stuff. Uh, of course. Why wouldn't I? Yeah, yeah. I I really want to talk about John Wick, and uh, I know we'll get to that in a few minutes. I actually just saw it a few minutes ago. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's really fresh on my mind. Uh, I don't know if it's uh, too fresh or not. We'll see. How'd you like to earn a coin? Uh, what was with the coins? Okay, we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> We're going to be betray the movie bite and actually talking about the movie <laughs> first. <laughs> T- well, TJ's going to edit all this in post, and he's going to rearrange this and take this part out. We mm-hmm. just know he will. He's, it's he, exciting. He, he's, he's a control freak. He'll, he'll own his own show. He yeah, controls see, all the digital bits. But I think the best thing with control freaks is when they know they're control freaks, because I think it usually equals better work. I think it's when they don't know and they don't really take the reins. They just are always fighting for the reins. You have to admit that you're a control freak, own it, and go in with everyone else who like works with you, knowing it too. And so everyone can feed off each other's strengths and weaknesses and yeah. make it a great thing. You know from experience. Uh, maybe, possibly. Mm. Maybe a little bit. Speaking of control freaks or <laughs> none at all, have you seen this uh, honest trailer for Interstellar? Did you see it I, today? I did. Did it come out today? I don't know, I, but it was been been awfully appropriate. Me. Yeah, everything about April Fools is going to be a blur. We record this on April first. I don't know what to believe anymore. I'm, I'm trying to basically tune out Twitter, Facebook, the internet, you name it. I'm trying to tune it out. Well, I actually thought I was going to show up to record the podcast tonight and you're going to be like, psych. And then I would show you my guns because that would be the equivalent of killing my little puppy dog. My little puppy dog dreams of being on the movie bite again. That's right. Uh, but I have seen the, I've seen the honest trailer and I, you know, I've, I've really been enjoying some of these. I feel like they're getting a little snarky. Like I think, I think before they, they did this, 
this honest trailer deal, but they kind of had a reverence for, for film. I got the same impression. I was asking TJ about that last week that, uh, did he get the feeling that honest trailers tonality has been more and more a parody of what they originally were? Yeah. And I'm not sure if it's because honestly, they probably deserve to do it a little better because, um, I would say the movies that I've seen them give honest trailers for have been like really, really popular, but they're, they all have these glaring holes in them. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're what they're looking at the, the fans and they're saying, you guys all paid a ton of movie to see this. And you're all saying it's amazing, but look at this. Why <laughs> yeah. is no one talking about this? And right. so maybe they're they're They have a certain level of justified irreverence for the films. And maybe if we get back to doing an honest trailer about a movie, that's like really, really good. Kind of like when they did the, uh, the winter soldier trailer, wasn't it that one? They were like, seriously guys, this is, a good movie. Or was it that guardians of the galaxy? <laughs> One of them. Yes, it was They're, guardians. Yeah. They were just like, look, it was a good movie. Okay. <laughs> I, I got the impression that they liked interstellar about as much as say twilight when, after watching this one, because <laughs> I, I mean, to be honest, it was Christopher Nolan at his worst thus far. And that was my personal take on it. I mean, and that's not to say it was uh, a rotten entertainment. I really enjoyed the film, but I also see the flaws. And I, I mean, I saw them in the moment that while mm-hmm. watching the film, it was so frustrating. Did you get that impression too? Or were there revelations in this trailer? No, I, I feel like they did a pretty fair job of roasting the film and, and because I liked how all the complimentary things they said about it were what the critics were trying to say. They all, you know, it's not that they were just roasting the film. It's almost like they were roasting the critics for trying to kind of uh, kiss Christopher Nolan's butt a little bit. Yep. But, you know, they always found a way to say something positive, even though you could tell that people didn't, on the whole, really like it. Because, there, don't get me wrong, there are things to like about the film. Uh, you know, I've podcasted about this film. TJ's podcasted about the film. You know, lots of people are, obviously, we're not going to let Interstellar go by because it was monumental in some aspects, but people always found a way to not ever call it bad. They always danced around somehow. And so they even poke fun at that. And I, I think, I think it's pretty clever. And as long as they keep putting out this kind of quality on a trailer, I'll keep subscribing to their channel and I'll keep watching the movies until I feel that that line is crossed that, that cynicism line that where it's undeserved. One of the best things about this honest trailer was at the end, rather than, just having a bunch of one-liners that they asked the awesome film voice guy to say aloud at the end. <laughs> they actually read the, the 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 things that that the Interstellar fans have had to say opposing the people who didn't like Interstellar. Yeah, and th- some of the lines there are pretty good. Only those that ha- have t- uh, too low of an IQ. Can't, I cannot even understand the fundamental blah, blah, blah. And it's, it, it, they're just a the jumbled physics. mess of words and mess. It, it just it's incoherent thoughts. I cannot say these lines, you know, where uh, people were uplifting interstellar. It's like, no, I'm sorry. You, you don't sound very intelligent yourself. there, criticizing the rest of us who don't in, find interstellar to be all that great. It, it's a no, mixed bag. Yeah. I would say, and that's pretty great because that shows a self-awareness of like, they, they know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're, they're, they're kind of, it's like when you go into um, like a a debate class, you have to, you have to address the the arguments. Yeah. The arguments that are going against your case in in your rebuttal. And so they were like, look, this is what people are going to say. We're going to go ahead and tackle that. 
But even though that was really great, I think my favorite part was uh, when they called her Anne Go Away. I was going to say when they called Matt Damon the baked potato. <laughs> baked potato. Uh, but, yeah. So, you know, if people haven't been watching Donna's trailers, I would say give it a shot. Uh, start with some of the older ones, and you probably could see, like, the, the kind of possible cynicism slash irreverence that we're talking about, that, that trend. But you can also kind of decide for yourself whether that is justified or not. Mm. Either way, you should probably check them out. One of the nice things about Honest Trailers is they always bring up those uh, movies that are right now coming out for home entertainment. And that's something that I, I really enjoy because when there's a new Honest Trailer for a hit film like Interstellar, I know that there's new media to check out on iTunes or at Netflix and Amazon Prime. Do you pay attention to any of the articles that show off the, the new stuff for Netflix and Amazon Prime when it, that new things come out at the beginning of the month? I definitely do. It's actually what I was doing today. I thought it was, I thought I missed something. So some kind of April fool's joke <laughs> that, that you just happened to link, like what's coming, you know, what's new on Netflix. Cause I was like, it's April 1st. I got to see what's coming out this month because there's, <laughs> there's certain things that, you know, are coming out eventually. Uh, but I always like to see what I can add to my queue that since I'm a big letterbox guy, I have decided to only review things that, from the time I created my Letterboxd account forward and not like go back and review a whole bunch of movies that I have like uh, memories of, or I I have a a distant feeling about, but I haven't watched in 10 years. So I love the fact that Netflix is eventually coming around getting lots of these films and I get to watch them again, you know, for free if I don't have them and then, then add them to my, my Letterboxd collection. So, and anything you find on a Netflix uh, release is going to be, uh, I've found in general to be hit or miss, but a heck of a lot better than the alternatives like Crackle and Hulu. Have you found that? Oh, definitely. I haven't checked uh, Crackle, but definitely Hulu. I've been really, really disappointed with my short amount of time on Hulu, especially the fact that most of the time I was paying for Hulu for the, like, again, the very short amount of time I was paying for it. I was like, why are there still commercials? Yeah, I don't understand. I'm paying you to make this go away. So you do get the, you get the, you get the immediacy of the library and stuff like that. But anyway, so Netflix has always been good. I know there are people who complain that Netflix doesn't have anything for them to watch. And I don't know if it's just a personality thing or a, a type of um, movie thing, but I, I've got like 150 things right now in my queue, probably only about 20 of that I've seen before. Nice. And, lots, and lots of those are TV shows and you're talking like five or six seasons of a TV show. So those 150 things should, you know, that's, it's an incredibly overwhelming amount of TV to watch. And then I look at what is coming out this month that I'm going to add to it. Uh, there, It's actually one of the better months. The past two months have, even I admit loving Netflix have been kind of uh, minimum. Mm-hmm. But this month, I think we've got like six or seven really great things along with a couple of niche things that depending on what you like, uh, you could find because Underworld comes out, which is if you're into that genre, it's one of the uh, most entertaining of the genre. The Babadook was one of the most freaky films of last year. Hot Fuzz is an incredible comedy. They oh, came yeah. together was one of the funniest movies I saw last year, <laughs> given that it has to kind of be your brand of humor. Noah was one of my favorite films last year. Uh, I did not get to see a girl walks home alone at night, but it was supposed to be uh, an incredibly 
well-received, critically acclaimed foreign film. And so I'm excited to be able to watch that later this month. And we can't forget Daredevil, <laughs> which yeah. is going to be a binge-watching uh, masterpiece, probably. Yes, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I, I, I was a little bit skeptical, honestly, when I started seeing more and more of the posts online about the new releases because it is April 1st that we're dealing with. So you mm-hmm. never know if they're going to make something up. Hey, we've got Back to the Future Part 4 here on Netflix. <laughs> what up? You know, But uh, it, it's still still pretty pretty good routine. I always have to look forward to this. And I also make the point to check out new podcasts at the top of the month. So I like to recycle some. And yeah, movie time, podcast time, it's all a blur. Where am I? What's going on here? <laughs> Uh, we got a link, uh, link to the what's new on Netflix in the show notes. Uh, speaking of Back to the Future, every now and then, it, you know, because the world is revolving around Pinterest and slash film.com and the, the Twitterverse and all, all this pop culture, you notice that there's like new stuff, new art and the likes for Back to, Back to the Future almost every week. <laughs> well, not just Back to the Future, but I have noticed a lot of really good and creative uh, remakes or reinterpretations of posters for Back to the Future, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. Uh, I've just been really impressed. There are some incredibly creative people out there, and unfortunately, I don't have as much money or wall <laughs> space as I need to co- collect it all. I'm right there with you. I I got for myself an excellent looking retro, you know, vintagey worn uh, poster of Tron Legacy that was mm-hmm. made up by somebody on Etsy, and I I have that up on my wall and it looks fantastic. I also got one for TJ for Star Trek: The Next Generation, and now I'm looking at some for Back to the Future Part Two. And Back to the Future Part Two is my least favorite of the three films, but this particular poster is really cool. Well, that's what I was going to say about your Tron Legacy poster. I was like, if you make a cool enough Tron Legacy poster, it could easily outshine Tron Legacy. (laughs) (laughs) But, 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 Fizz, that's actually one of my favorite films of all time. It's fine. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) I appreciate. I figured. I figured I was just going to poke. I figured I was going to poke the bear and and see if the bear bit back. No, you. you, Nobody can shame my that that movie. Like uh, I understand it. I'm like one of those people diehards that approve of Interstellar. There's nothing you can say. You just misunderstand that film. It's it's a masterpiece. I, I really do like it. If you are to understand the physics kicks behind it, <laughs> you are the dumb or stupid. That's right. <laughs> uh, there's plenty of physics in Tron Legacy. So, back to the posters for Back to the Future. There is this one of Marty McFly who's rocking out on his guitar, and you see him like he was on stage. But it's it's all psychedelic uh, with a, a, the the background, or I guess you should say foreground. It's hard to it's hard to explain. But basically, light beams are shooting out of the face of the clock tower face. He is standing on the clock tower face, and he's playing the music to the people dan- uh, dancing in uh, you know there at the uh, at the uh, what was it the, uh, the 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 party there for the high school. Oh, the the enchantment. It's under a the good, yeah. It, it, thank you. It's such a good looking poster. I, See, I I could put this up anywhere. I assume that Chad, if you're listening, Chad, he's already bought all these posters. Even if you can't buy them, he's found a way to purchase them. That's true. That's true. Uh, Chad bite. We'll add that to that feature into next week's show. <laughs> 
I, you know, here's the thing. I, I'm really wary about talking about any of the side items of interest for this week because it is April Fool's Day and some of this stuff isn't April Fool's, but I could hardly tell the difference. When you're talking about movies and, uh, you know, Back to the Future Part 4, you know, like th- these kinds of things come up all the time. So you actually pointed out to me, Fizz, that Deadpool is a thing that's actually happening. This isn't just the cult fandom making up stuff on the internet. And you know a thing or two about this a little bit more than I did. What well, do you know about Deadpool? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I don't know if they're definitely getting an R rating since that came out today. Yeah. But, but Deadpool is a movie that Ryan Reynolds has been trying to get made for years now, from what I understand. And I have seen plenty of articles about Deadpool being made over the past, I think, two months of it getting greenlit and various people that they're starting to tie into the movie to know that either they did more April Fool's prep than anyone else or, you know, it's actually happening. And I'm going to go with it's actually happening. The problem is not many people know who Deadpool is. And to be quite honest, I've never read any Deadpool comics, but I have a lot of comic book friends and I have a lot of Deadpool in particular uh, fan friends and they've said, you know, you, you like Spider-Man, you like this, you like that. You're going to love Deadpool. And I'm like, well, why? They're like, it's a dude. He can't die. And it's it's the snarkiness of Spider-Man turned up to 11. So, you know, a superhero or, well, a hero is probably the wrong word, but a super person uh, who can't die and who's very cynical about everything else in life. He, he is hilarious. It's a very dark, dark, dark laugh out loud comedy type of thing. And he looks like he's part GI Joe part spider. He does. Yeah. He's like a, he's like if, if storm shadow and no, not storm shadow, if snake eyes and, you know, uh, Spider-Man had a baby. It would mm-hmm. be Deadpool, except he would be immortal. Um, so <laughs> they actually got together and I, I linked this and, you know, you can use your discretion because it might not technically be for all audiences. So we want to be very careful about what we kind of put out there. But they actually made a YouTube video uh, that was only two minutes long that was uh, was their pitch. And it has Ryan Reynolds voicing Deadpool, which is what he wanted to do, uh, showing them just a two minute <laughs> clip of what their idea of a Deadpool movie would be like. And it is ridiculous. It's funny. Uh, I, I just I was 100 percent sold on it, having never read anything. And so if they can get some of this out there, I think Deadpool will make plenty of money, even with an R rating and R rating is usually, you know, like it's like, it's the, the death nail, you know, in, in lots of movies. Yeah. Because you you basically cut out, you know, two thirds of your audience right from the start. Do you remember what, what was the superhero ish character that Liam Neeson played back in the, what was it? The eighties, the dark man character. It was, was, yeah, it was made by Sam Raimi and it got a rated R and now you can practically not find a copy in existence of that film. Yeah, but it was still a really cool film. And I've wanted to find it. I, I've gone looking and I, I'm not willing to, you know, fork out a wad of cash for a used copy or something random like that. I would like to just see it turn up on Netflix one day and I'd totally check it out. Yeah. You know, that day hasn't come yet. And see, I'm afraid of things like Deadpool falling into that category. I don't see. I think Darkman would have never fallen into that category if the age of information 
that we have now existed because it would have done like so many other things where it missed, it misfired in theaters because it probably wasn't uh, advertised like it should. They probably tried to you know, soften the blow of the art ahead of its time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Darkman is actually ahead of its time. I think it would, uh, it, despite some of the cheesiness because of the time that it was made, it would have fit right in with the, you know, the Nolan Batman dark DC universe kind of mantra. It totally fits that. Hmm. And it's pretty cool. Um, and I stand by that. Yeah. I know, I know it's not like a Academy award winning film, but dark man is incredibly interesting. And I think it's done well enough that if it was released at a different time, it could at least have a cult following. And I think it already does kind of have a cult following now, but it's just a cult following from people who were, just a couple years before the the internet trading of things. So I, I don't, I don't worry for Deadpool. I think they're going to make it. I think they're probably going to give them less money than they want to, to make the film. So they're going to make it on a reasonable budget and it'll probably earn its money back in the theater because people who love Deadpool are going to go see it like three times. And then it's probably going to make tons of money or, you know, plenty of money to have talk about a sequel. And then we may or may not get a sequel to it. Mm. Um, it's just, if, if they got funding for this by making a two minute video and that two minute video, like I said, if it's your, if it's your thing, it's an incredible, uh, it's an incredible pitch. It's not my favorite thing, but it's one of my favorite things. (laughs) I would say, so you do that with two minutes, like, I would give money to make this. You know, if they kickstarted this film, I might even support it knowing that I could get a copy of it. Oh yeah. Cause as long as they, as long as they keep that tone, I would want to own a copy of this movie. Hmm. Whatever. It, it does have that flair to it that it feels like it would belong on a Kickstarter or on a YouTube channel. And it, as a continuation, it like, um, you know, sort of like the, it has the independent creative spirit to it. It's not, you can understand why, it's not mainstream enough that it was already made into film, you know, because it, it, you know, the, the production studios are looking for the easy targets. They're looking for the Spider-Man. They're not looking for the spider woman, you know, which is something that's a little bit too unusual for everyday audiences. Yeah. So that's Deadpool. And I'm interested to see what becomes of that. Uh, one other thing that fell into the April fools, is it category? was the Apostle Paul movie starring way too many top billing actors. We got Matt Damon, Hugh Jackman, and Ben Affleck. This this okay, this is I don't want to say it's so good it, it, it's too good to be true because it seems like it's so over the top it can't be true. Well, Okay, let me just read this one paragraph in the story on people.com. Jackman, who was a student of transcendental meditation and attended the School of Practical Philosophy, an international school that teaches both Eastern and Western philosophical principles, was actually raised by a born-again Christian father, according to Parade. He takes his religion very seriously and would prefer to go to church, Jackman told Parade of his father. We blah, 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 blah. So I don't know. It's just, it's, it's weird, right? Because we're talking about uh, Hugh Jackman, uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. And I, I, I could almost believe it of Jackman, but not of the other two. Well, you think so, it's real. Okay. So here is my, why it could be real. Um, one, it's posted on a number of sites. That's true. And it's not like just like, 
oh, Slash Film or People.com decided to make a guess what, you know, Bible drama is going to happen next. Also, like Hugh Jackman and Ben Affleck and Matt Damon aren't all in the movie. It's just supposed to be produced by Affleck and Matt Damon with Hugh Jackman being the lead. Oh, okay. Um, I was concerned they all wanted to play a part in it. No. So it's not really an all-star cast necessarily, but it's people with lots of money who like to produce things, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, uh, producing a movie about the Apostle Paul with Hugh Jackman as the lead. Um, Like I said, it does seem a little too, in my opinion, too good to be true. I mean, not that I think they'll probably do it to satisfaction because it's kind of hard to balance both those worlds a lot of time, but, um, still chewing on it. It, yeah. it sounds awfully convenient that it came out right here at April Fool's. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll say this. I will actually be disappointed that if this is actually an April Fool's joke and if it's not, then I will be there opening weekend to watch it. <laughs> so, okay then. So if it's not an April Fool's joke, they lost my money. That's right. So, so it's not even like one of those wacky things that like, oh, that's obviously not real. It's like uh, <laughs> I saw ThinkGeek uh, posted a, a Voltron like cat climber today. To what? <laughs> it's like a, you know, like those, cir- you know, how like, yeah. have, like a post with like a cat cir- or a oh, cylinder. Oh, nice. Yeah. And yeah. it was, it was basically Voltron and all his <laughs> arms and legs were like the circles that the cats would climb in. And I said, I would buy that. I don't even own a cat and I would buy that. It's and sort I'm of like, like one of the jokes, yeah, that just like the jokes on ThinkGeek. They, they come out with a product uh, just for April Fool's. They're kidding mm-hmm. around. People love it so much, they actually turn it into a real product in a few weeks. Yeah, I was going to say, you're, all you're doing is losing money at this point. You know? <laughs> the people so, on the internet will buy anything. So, And I'm proof of that because, I mean, I would have. Like I said, don't own a cat. Still buy it. Love Voltron. <laughs> Can't help it. And, and people like us will watch anything. Hell yeah. Which brings us to the main uh, movie and review <laughs> we've got here today. <laughs> Are you ready to move on to the review? I, I sure I, am. I'm fine with that. All right. We've been talking about uh, side items for 30 minutes in between a couple of interruptions that we made for ourselves. So in uh, the wonderful world of post magic, TJ has cut all this together. And we thank you very much, TJ, for all of your hard work to get this show put together uh, like for a Frankenstein movie bite episode. It, and hopefully it's coherent for everybody. But no one would have ever noticed. No, no. But if I didn't – But now we're talking about If it. I didn't talk about it, then nobody would have appreciated it. Well, I keep hitting my desk. I don't know what that's about. I never hit my desk. I'm so so conscious of that. <laughs> Did you have too it. much coffee today? No, I think we've gone over this. I don't drink coffee. That's right. We have like a lot. <laughs> so, I mean, if anyone hosted like a show about coffee, it would probably be one of these shows that I would have the least interest in, yes. no matter how well it's done. Even if lots of people tell me it's incredibly well done and they love it. I, I don't know, man. I'm sure that this guy could get you to listen to it somehow. <laughs> He'll get you addicted to the substance of his, the audio frequencies. <laughs> I don't. It's like I would just have to hate listen to it. I'll listen to it until I begin to like it. Because what sense does that make? Coffee drinkers, just drink it. Just keep drinking it. You'll you'll learn to love it. it doesn't even make any sense. There's nothing else in life you tell me to do that with. Oh, anyway. <laughs> 
we have, we have digressed. And speaking, speaking of yeah, speaking of coffee and caffeine, we have John Wick. I'm up. I'm up. Like that, huh? Nice ride. Thanks. How much? Excuse me. How much for the car? She's not for sale. You have good day, sir. Daisy. I lost everything. That dog was a final gift from my dying wife. Jonathan, you got out once. You dip so much as a pinky back into this pond, you may find something reaching out to pull you back in. It's personal. Where'd you get that car? What does it matter? It's not what you did, son. It's who you did it to. And this movie came out October the 24th, 2014. And it's newly been released for home entertainment. It was made on a budget of $20 million. And for their investment, they made $14 million back opening weekend. And worldwide gross since then, they've made $78.7 million bucks gross. And, uh, it's not that gross. No, it's not gross. Um, <laughs> I, I, that's pretty cool cash right there. A critic's consensus via the Rotten Tomato Meter people, they say that this film is stylish, thrilling, and giddily kinetic. John Wick (laughs) serves as a satisfying return to action for Keanu Reeves and what looks like it could be the first of a franchise. And honestly, I'm just going to make a note here. I had not considered the franchise quality to it until reading that line. Uh, Now I can get it. Uh, It just didn't strike me. But if you can make a franchise out of – uh, you know, taken, then surely you can make a franchise out of John Wick. Well, they certainly give you a lot to make a franchise out of in this movie. Hmm. It was directed by David Leach or like, or Lich, Lich, whatever his name is. <laughs> and Chad Tasselski. And, now, they, now they're just messing with you. I think they just threw some letters together just to mess you up. Re- really? <laughs> then you got writers, Derek Col- uh, Colstad. And okay. So it, we got one writer listed. One credit. It stars Keanu Reeves as John Wick, Michael Nickvist as Vigo Tarasov, and Alfie Allen as Yosef Tarasov? I think that actually works, yeah. I'm, am I in the ballpark? Does anyone know? Adrian Pelicki. Pelicki? That's inappropriate. As Ms. Perkins. And uh, the music composer was Tyler Bates. Uh, do you want to give us a storyline for a change? Uh, is the storyline just that one line? <laughs> it is. We're, talk- I, we're talking about a shoot 'em up film. What can we yeah. say? Yeah, I usually don't like to have to read the storyline because I'm so bad at reading on podcasts, but I think I can do this. All right. So if you can, with me, audience, close your eyes and imagine an ex hitman comes out of retirement to track down the gangsters that took everything from him. That's, <laughs> That's all. it. That's the storyline. <laughs> That's all. Uh, that's basically the gist of the film. So when did you see it? Did you see it in theaters? No. Okay. So this film came out while I was doing a whole bunch of traveling last year. And And it was in October. Nobody was thinking about seeing a movie in October. 
Well, that's the thing. It, it was it was October, and I had already put a couple push pins on a couple films that I assumed would be Oscar worthy because October is starting to become a great time for people or for um, for some uh, some real hits that are sneaking up on us. Yeah, yeah. Studios are starting to put those ones in October. I mean, we had uh, Gravity and Captain Phillips came out uh, two years ago in 2013. In October, That's and right. both of them were, you know, best picture nominations. So I was expecting more of the same last year, and so I, like I said, I had a couple push pins out there. I was looking for Birdman, uh, I, and so I, a movie where Keanu Reeves was starring as an action hero, completely did not interest me. Kind of laughed it off, and then the reviews started coming in hmm. because I had seen, I had, I had actually given, oh, what was it? the samurai movie that he did at the end of 2013 was like 40 samurai or 40, 47 Ronin. And I was like, surely it can't be that bad. And I watched it and it was (laughs) terrible. It was like, it was such a cool concept and Keanu Reeves just ruined every single part of that movie. And I was like, if this movie, if John Wick could be good at all, I'm sure Keanu Reeves will ruin it. So had no plans of seeing it. Reviews came out and they were spectacular. They were not only spectacular, but like for a shoot 'em up, even a good shoot 'em up movie, which we've both already admitted this is just a shoot 'em up movie, or it should have just been a shoot 'em up movie. Like a good shoot 'em up movie, I think should get maybe sixty percent, sixty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, there's gonna be people people who just don't like it because it's a shoot 'em up movie. Um, but this movie was scoring high. I think it was in like the eighty. Do you remember where it ended up? Yeah, it ended at eighty three from the critics and eighty from the audience. Oh, that's, that's crazy. I figured the audience would be way higher. Um, so the, you know, it's in the eighties. I'm like a movie with counter reason, the eighties percent, maybe I'll check it out. And for a goof, I think it was December. We, me and a friend decided to sit down and watch it and we watched it. And at the end of it, we just sat there with like our jaws on the floor because we could not believe that we went and saw and a shoot 'em up movie that was that actually had substance to it mm-hmm. that seemed to do it so effortlessly. Now, what do you mean by substance? Because I, there were some qualities to this film that I, I really appreciate, but when people say substance, I usually think they're thinking about story and motivation of characters, a theme across the film. Uh, but I didn't think that the film was strong in that department. Well, what so, did you see? No, so that's a that's a great point because it at its core is exactly what we said it was. It it's a you know, an ex hitman comes out of retirement to track down the gangsters that took everything from him. It would it's so easy for this film to have fallen into this this line of oh man, they've taken everything. I'm gonna go and shoot bad guys. Yeah, it could but, have gone the way of the Bourne supremacy or just a dozen other, you know, silly action films. Die Hard Four. I mean, they could have done it yeah. so easily. And 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 at the core, like the if you look at the story progression, that is the arc of the story. You know, ex hitman comes out of retirement, kills people, kills bad guys. That that's the crux of it. But where I thought this story was rich was in this really interesting world that they built around this really basic story. Oh, the, I know what you're getting to now. That's and so, it. yeah. And so most of the time when you have a movie like this, you have, um, you have judge dread, the remake 
guys at the bottom of the tower got to get to the top of the tower. We all we don't care about investing in the characters and we don't invest in in the world enough for you to care that the characters are even fighting the world or internally. So this one, you you made the action interesting enough and unique enough, creative enough, if you will, that it kind of carried us through this world where you were always like, who's that? Why are they doing that thing? And no one ever came out and said, hey, I'm Steve the Assassin. I'm And Steve the Assassin likes to kill people like this. Or I've been Steve the Assassin for 13 years and I lost this. And this is how it, like there wasn't anyone coming out explaining anything. And it made the world fascinating. It was pretty cool how everybody kept saying the same things too. Like it was an understand an understanding of how you even communicate among the assassins, among the criminals, mm-hmm. that they they'll say the same things. They have the safe the safe words. They have the safe things that they can say to each other. So out of some kind of um, just polite respect, they'll say, "Oh, good to see you again, John," or something to that effect. Like you know, and you're like, "When did you see him last? What happened?" But no one knew the when he when he went to the hotel, the 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 I saw the what would you call that guy the concierge? Yes. So the concierge wasn't. It's nice to see you, John. We haven't seen you since 1993 when the thing happened and the stuff <laughs> that I'm going to you know I'm going to tell you all about right now because the audience doesn't know. It was just like nice to see you again, and you're like. When did you see him last? What was he doing? How long has this happened? You know, like, so their under explanation kept me interested the entire time. They would mention something and then they wouldn't fully explain it. And it was like someone just giving you like a really great trailer, but then they don't tell you what the name of the movie is. And you're like, Oh my gosh, did you see that trailer? And then you try to explain somebody and you can't really, but you can just, all you use is the word cool over and over (laughs) and over again. And so, yeah. So, you know, John Wick, very straight plot, but it was it was woven through a world that to me is incredibly interesting. And we haven't even got to like world building. Yeah. Good world building. It was. And so I just can go on and on and on about it. And like I said, I want to give specific examples, but I don't want to necessarily ruin anything quite yet. I want to make sure we get to the, the spoiler stuff. But that that's what I what I mean when I kind of say it's rich. Yeah, the characters were not too original. They were familiar. You know, you were Mm -hmm. dealing with action characters, Mm -hmm. so they're they're not too complex. They're not too they're not too broody. They're not too uh, you know. They're not. There's no sharp angles about them. They 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 just fit the bill, and that Mm -hmm. was okay. That was fine. They 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 served their their place. So one thing that's not going to stick out to you. Is some uh, real goofy guy or in, you know uh, creepy dude? You know that one assassin who acted like a madman. You know he kind of strikes you like the Joker. You know mm-hmm. that's not going to happen with this film. But it is the world building you pick up on because there's also a part of their world that they ex- they have like their own currency. They exchange gold coins for different mm-hmm. kinds of service between uh, one criminal and another party. And for different kinds of things, and they just kind of know this, and they, and and they just they just do it. They don't question it; they just do it. And, and another interesting factor here was that John, the main character, was one of the bad guys that got out of it, and you never really knew why, except you had to suppose that it was because he really was into his wife. Mm-hmm. 
but he was young enough that getting a you know, retirement would mean, well, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? You know, next, you know, 30, 40, 50 years of your life. And that, that's something that I kept wondering about and the film didn't want to address. And it, it didn't hurt the film one way or the other because it didn't feel like at the end we had to have that question answered, but it was something that they kept on raising. Like, does John actually have a reason for why he retired? And it, w- would it hurt him? Would it be so bad? Would it be so awful if he came, you know, back into the criminal world and became the the legendary assassin he always was? And you got the impression that they they were kind of raising the question over and over again to the audience. Well, would it be so bad? Would you like it if there was this really badass assassin and we just went ho hog with him? Let's see what that looks like when he does it just on the weekend here for this one particular uh, situation where he's trying to make rights and things that were done wrong to him. Now, did you like that? Could you see this guy going back, you know, coming out of retirement? Would you like to see that, huh? And and they kind of <laughs> they kind of like set you up for that journey along with a story. And I guess if our response to the action is, is which is seemingly positive is any sign then yes, we're okay with the idea of this assassin coming out of retirement. Yeah. Like I said, I think you hit on something that, that also worked action wise for me. I would say that the action itself in general was fairly smart. I really enjoyed the action. Like there was, there was never those, those crazy scenes where you have like a main bad guy and like tons of henchmen and they all stand face to face with the good guy and they all shoot at each other point blank. And, like all the henchmen die and somehow the main guy doesn't get hit. Like there's not like a super, like a sub boss kind of, um, Oh, it, like if you get in the way of a bullet, you took a bullet in this film. Yes. P- people weren't like, like they were actually good assassins. You know, every time <laughs> you pulled the trigger, you knew, you knew what you were doing. And there were made, a lot of, there were a lot of uh, shots fired in this film and most there, of them hit a target. And not only a target, but most of them hit someone's head. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was like headshot, 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 headshot. Um, you know, but it, but it all, like I said, this is the hardest part to, unless you, unless you watch this film, it's really hard to describe because they built so much character uh, uh, in this movie through things that you would never expect people to build character through. Because to really build John Wick's character, you would expect them to like be have him have to internalize lots of things, to have lots of serious conversations, like lengthy conversations with people trying to work out like the moral ambiguity of what he did or was doing or is going to do, things like that. And they skip all that, and instead they show who he is through other people's conversations, and then through his actions through the action of the action or through the actions of his action, because he's not, he's not, like I said, he's a professional. He's not a bullet waster. He doesn't waste words. He, um, you know, he's got everything very organized. Uh, he, he's very mild mannered. Like I said, he just doesn't like shoot. He doesn't use a machine gun when a shot to the head will do. Uh, he's very methodical with his movements. Uh, he's very confident. He doesn't play that game where you have someone cornered and you sit there and talk to him and you monologue for five minutes. You know, he just goes in and gets the job done. And, and they say so much about him without him ever having to 
to tell the audience anything about him. Speaking of the characters. Yeah. And speaking of the characters, so many of them are assassins in this film or they're criminal bodyguards. Mm -hmm. And so most of them are just, you know, uh, faceless, nameless characters, but then they, they, they actually gave a little bit of character to a few other assassins who would have been John Wick's peers. One mm-hmm. of them is Perkins, and uh, you know she's she's lethal. She she's really she's really <laughs> out to make a lot of money off of a particular hit, and the the, the performance was done excellently by Adrian, and I, I I was really impressed that she plays essentially the leading lady role in the film because John Wick's uh, spoiler alert. Now we can get into spoilers. Is that okay with you, sir? <laughs> Oh, that's fine with me. Okay, it has to be done. At the very beginning of the film, John Wick's wife has passed away from uh, was it natural causes or like she died from cancer? It looked I like she had impression. cancer. Yeah, yeah. and it, so it, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't the most important thing. It was no. It was that he had chosen a new life, and then that basically that life unchose him. Right. Yeah, you know, that's really all you needed to know. Right. So. Where was I going with this? Oh, okay. The, 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 the girl, John Wick's girl, it begins at the beginning of the movie by establishing John Wick does not have a girl. She's dead now. And as a substitute, he's got a puppy that his girl gave to him posthumously. And, then, and so what you have is the anti-girl, the girl who wants to kill the guy instead for the rest of the film. And uh, it was pretty clever how – I mean it was just a, a nice role reversal. So – so I think we, we tried to explain this to somebody who hadn't seen the film and they're like, well, I saw the preview. It looked dumb. They're like, yeah. why did it look dumb? Yeah. And they're like, well, so they kill his puppy and he goes and kills like a billion people. They're like, no, 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 no. Uh, the, the puppy <laughs> that sounds like a YouTube video. Yeah. It's like the puppy was given to him. They're like, okay, but who his dead wife? Oh, wait, because his dead wife, like I said, all the characterization you need His his dead wife said, look, I know you actually love me and you need something to love. So my dying gift to you is this thing that you can take care of and that you can love. And so it's his last base. It's basically his last string that's holding him in a world that he has fought to be a part of. And so it's more than just like his dog got killed and his car got stolen. It's like a life that was ripped away from him. And it's it should be corny. It should Joke. be. I thought about it that several be times. Um, but I mean, and like Keanu Reeves' acting is terrible, and so like him trying <laughs> to figure out how to do the puppy thing was dumb. But like, but you also got that impression that John Wick is just uh, personalityless. Like, oh. like, he he's really a professional about you know, anything and everything. He doesn't know how to emote. He doesn't know how to express. Yeah. He doesn't know how to talk. And, and, you know, even the, the concierge expressed more personality than he does and had more lines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, I think he might have. I noticed, no one is that good. <laughs> oh man. I noticed there wasn't any dialogue for about the first five minutes of the film. There was uh, some people's talking in the background at one point. But just nothing said, nothing communicated uh, from one human to another for the f- first five minutes, and uh, that was pretty good. That was that was pretty enter- entertaining, just in and of itself. I was waiting when they were going uh, to see when they were going to break that silence. Yeah, I, I would say that that adds to the the whole feeling of the film as well, because instead of having people coming on screen 
you know, expositing what's going on or who someone is. It means when someone actually does say something, it means something. I think well, one of probably, probably my, maybe my favorite part of the whole movie is when uh, Vigo calls Aurelio, John Leguizamo's character. Mm-hmm. And you know John Leguizamo isn't doesn't back down like he like he already knows like he knows he's he's kind of messed up but he knows he's completely justified. So when Vigo's like, you know, I hear you struck my son, you know, I don't know why he's like a Dracula guy now. <laughs> um, Close uh, enough. Uh, you know, I was like, uh, yeah, like he stole John. He st- you know he stole John Wick's car and he killed his dog. That's all he says. And then Vigo's like, oh. <laughs> That's right. You know, and we've already established that Vigo is a big, bad crime boss leader. And his only response is, oh. You know? <laughs> he got it. He, that, yeah. that tells you that everything you need to know about John Wick. You know? And up to that point, you didn't know if at all that he was an impressive sort to the criminal underworld. Yeah. Like, he, like he's not just good. He is known like he is feared. And then they keep, they do this thing again, that should be cheesy. Like they keep calling him the boogeyman, you know? <laughs> oh, it's great. Some um, of the captions that come up on screen when they're speaking Russian, yes. it just, it was really weird. They looked like they were like sensationalized action hero, a pow whiz bang, like mm-hmm. kind of font graphics, you know, and colorized. And, and it was like, these were not your ordinary subtitles. <laughs> but they, they saw they. I don't know if they fit the film, but they, they, they didn't hurt it at all. No, yeah, like I said, it was another thing that, like, I wanted to have this huge list of things that I found wrong with the film, and I think in in nine out of ten films that would have been dumb, and I would I would add it to my list of dislikes. Mm. But I couldn't do it. I was like, it totally works. That the. I don't know if it's the writer or the director or just a combination of both of them. They set a tone from the very beginning of this film that never went never to it. It, it just, yeah, it, it, it stays constant and it, it does some ridiculous things, but it grounds it enough that when it is ridiculous, it's almost like a wink back at the audience. Like, you know what we're doing right now? Yeah. And we're just like, well, we don't, but it's awesome. Uh, you know? I would like to call it constant, honest, brutal action. <laughs> that That's what it felt like consistently from beginning to end. So mm-hmm. you would have a scene that would be the climax, a, a buildup of some of your anticipation, and then you would have a payoff. You would have a really well-rounded action sequence, mm-hmm. and you would get to see Wick kill like 30 people in less than 30 <laughs> seconds and it would blow your mind because you saw it all and somehow it just made sense and it, it re- was really impressive to you like when jason Bourne goes into action mode there's a lot of uh, you know shaky cam and quick cuts mm-hmm. and very rarely did you get to see how jason was masterminding like a dance between the yeah. bullets and nabbing guys guns and you know knocking the, rendering them unconscious and breaking their necks like you didn't really understand what his movements were because the style was presented in such a way that 
oh, whatever Jason Bourne is doing is so mind boggling. Like you can't even keep up with it. So don't try. So just, you know, block that out of your mind and just assume whatever he is doing is so impressive. You couldn't keep up with him if you tried. Whereas with John, what John's doing is, is, is interesting that he just, he has no holds barred. Mm-hmm. He's going to he's going to give it all. Like he he has no hesitation to uh, to kill anyone, and his goal is to kill the people. So he identifies his targets incredibly fast, like he would expect from a genuine assassin, someone who's he he doesn't have a moral quandary. He he, he knows what he's out to do, mm-hmm. and he knows that the in order to get to the the crime lord's son, he's going to have to kill. Like an uh, an uh, just an indefinite number of the the henchmen beneath them to get to the sun, and he yeah, doesn't, doesn't count. Matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. He's not he's not keeping count, and he's not you know he doesn't have a uh, a, a moral uh, compass to tell him. Well, I, I better stop now. I've gone too far. He he doesn't leave the scene like you know shaking and going for a shower. You know he just leaves the scene looking for more people to kill, and so then you, you when they finish that sequence. Then they start to build up your anticipation again for the next one. It was pretty consistent. Well, it worked like clockwork, and uh, they they always came through. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in terms of dislikes, uh, I I don't feel like we really need to say more about this story. It is a shoot 'em up film, and you can you can kind of imagine where it goes. You like you already alluded to going from the top to the bottom, or the bottom to the top of the tower. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the uh, the nice little little details, maybe the cherry on top, was uh, what is that guy's name? Willem Dafoe. Yes, thank you. Yep. <laughs> he he was just going back to my likes. <laughs> a huge understatement in this film, but his character was interesting enough, and I'm glad that they they, they gave him to the character of John Wick. Uh, presumably, they were good friends, assassins that were also good friends. Uh, there was not this phony honor among thieves notion or anything in this film, but you got the mm-hmm. impression that like in the real world, sometimes people become friends and sometimes professionals just don't. And there's really no rhyme and reason to it. But there was a reason at some point that John Wick and this guy were good friends. And they've kind of fallen out of touch because they didn't have any pro- reason to work together professionally. Mm-hmm. But they're still they're still kind of looking out for each other's backs if they, if given the choice between some other, you know, criminal uh, murderer or helping each other out, they're going to look out for each other first. And yeah, if, but the, but again, it's not with this attitude of we do this because there's a code and we 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 love each other as bros. You know, there's nothing like that. Not the macho, not the machismo. Machismo, you know. Mm-mm. And see, that's that's where I think the story really shines too, because even real. though. The, the 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 main the main arc is is get to the top of the tower. Um, what happens is there's a number of B stories in this film, and I think all the B stories pay off because Willem Dafoe in his small part is great. Uh, John Leguizamo in his small part is great, and like you've already pointed out, um, Perkins' character. She has a small B story um, in this, but everything, every B story makes like builds the world and makes it better. And they're all those B stories pay off in some way. 
Uh, so, you know, sometimes obviously ways that we are sad about, some ways that we're like uh, surprised by, but they all pay off, and that is also really hard. It's to to make not to have more than one B story, and then to have all those B stories be um not just feel like they were thrown in at the last minute. Like they were all, they're all woven in. And so, like I said, you, you want to, you want to bash or you want to put the film down for having such a simple structure, but right. And, and usually when you're dealing with an action flick, it's a simple structure. And in order to make it more exciting, and they'll just inject it with a lot of, uh, you know, like, uh, brash music in the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. There will be a lot of noise and chaos around and some screams, a lot of screams and shouts. There is this one particular sequence when the action really gets underway, when they're in a, um, in in a bar, you know, like a nightclub. type. Yeah. Yeah. And John Wick has gone all rogue and he's killing all the guards. He's so close (laughs) to killing the guy, uh, the, the son of the crime Lord. And he's so close, but he has to weave his way through uh, the dancers out there and on the dance floor. And that place should have been super chaotic. There should have been all kinds of wild screaming. There should have been uh, distracting, strobing lights. There should have been music that was just pulsating and breaking you know, your ears while you're, you're trying to, you know, like get, it should have been an information overload moment at a time when they could have easily over sensationalized the action. But in, in, in the other direction, it actually felt like they, they toned it way down so that you could focus better on how it was that John was killing off all of these henchmen. And you could just see how that had unfolded. And that, and and they balanced it out beautifully. Oh yeah, I totally agree. I you were just completely in a super crowded scene where they, especially with like the flashing, you know, the the strobe lights and just all the people cluttering a scene. They still met, you were able to follow John Wick and what he was doing. Yeah, should have been and, it should have been confusing and disorienting, but it wasn't. And I think, like I said, it just it was an it was easy to follow. And this, this thing that is usually a string in other movies is actually basically the backbone that everything was built on. And this one, um, do we like are we wanting to talk about dislikes? Cause I don't have a whole lot. <laughs> you know, I don't have a whole lot either. Um, I, I, a few thoughts would be that, Usually, usually I enjoy a film that's more moral than this one. You're mm-hmm. dealing with just a bunch of bad guys that are taking out their their uh, petty personal problems out on each other. Like they're they're just causing problems for themselves, sort of the way that all the characters do in Breaking Bad. And that's not necessarily good or bad. I'm not drawing the line in the sand here and saying, you know, we really shouldn't be entertained by stories like these because they're not very uplifting to the Christian heart. You know, I'm not, I'm not going down that hole. What, I, what I'm saying is, though, that it is uh, mind-boggling how just this entire film is all about the underworld. And the one glimmer of any kind of um, – good good world the sunny side of life the silver lining it died with john wick's wife and then died with the puppy and then you don't get a glimmer of any kind of hope again 
until uh, unexpectedly at the end of the film, there's a way to have a quasi excuse for possibly a hopeful, happy ending that happens after <laughs> the credits roll. Yeah. And, uh, it, it it gave it gave them the ability to create that you know sequel that we were talking about, but at, at the end it's not like you watched this film and saw any version of character building that was virtuous and something you want to apply to your own life. Nothing inspiring is here. No moral lessons learned. Really, just a great example of what happens when a bunch of bad dudes take out uh, you know everything they can on each other. Yeah, they pick on the wrong guy. That's what happens. Yeah, when one set of wrong guys pick on another set of wrong guys. And then let's see which one is wronger and which one <laughs> deserves to live. Which one's a coward and will jump into a car and try to escape and get shot in the back. Okay, <laughs> he was a goner and he deserved it because he had no guts. You know. Yeah. Well, we'll get that kind of thing a lot. Yeah, who's the most wrongiest? <laughs> yes. Um, we'll, we'll see that, that they're dead. Well, okay, so – the the one aside that I have is the first dislike that I have is I still think Keanu Reeves is a terrible actor. And the parts in this film, the very few parts where they leave him to act, uh, it's still hard for me to, to separate his own, own Keanu Reeves laconic like what what is it? About, but what is it about Keanu Reeves? That's not a good actor. I've heard this a lot. And I, I could say that about uh, John Travolta, but I don't see it here. I, uh, well, like I said, sometimes he's the perfect uh, actor because you need the everyman, the guy who doesn't actually give you any kind of emotional whatever, so you can superimpose yourself onto that person. Oh, okay. and and I would say for eighty five percent of this film, that's what he gives you, and that's why it works. But the the first little bit of the film when he's like talking to himself and like I said, interacting with the dog, I saw him trying to understand emotion or portray emotion or like, that's like people don't say things to themselves. Like you say it. Um, even if they are a super assassin, I just can't, I could, it wasn't believable. It was like when I try to watch him like again in 47 Ronin, like anytime that he had to, be a stand in for the audience. He worked well, but anytime that he had to stand up and exert this like presence as a, an emotional or prolific figure, it, it seemed to fall flat for me because I just couldn't get behind it. I mean, the same thing happens in the matrix. That's why everyone goes, I know Kung Fu (laughs) because it's just like, shut up. You know, you're doing well, just not talking, just, being our stand in for this, this story. Um, so that's using, you know, that's using my problem with counteries. Um, the, the good thing is there's occasion like Bill and Ted when he is the perfect character because <laughs> he's supposed to be, you know, basically, uh, an idiot, I guess. And so it works. <laughs> uh, but you know, for the most part, like I said, that's distracting. And I didn't, I didn't want to go, I didn't want to talk about it in that long because it was just going to be an aside. Look what you've done, Joe. Um, because, because my other, my other real only dislike of this film is basically what you've already talked about. And that is this concept that I typically don't like, uh, shoot 'em up movies, like mindless shoot 'em up movies. And, And you could say that this falls into that genre. 
Yeah, and, and it falls into that genre, which is crazy because I don't actually think it ends up – I think a, a critical examination of this film would take it out of that genre. Mm-hmm. But it was billed as that genre, and most of this film is filmed as if it's that genre. And I typically don't do that because I have personal qualms with the depictions of redemptive violence because I don't believe in redemptive violence yeah. um, a- a- as a means for actual solutions to problems. Um, so that's why I have problems with, uh, other films that have come out in the past couple of years. But again, the reason that I like this film was that I thought it was filmed in a way that lets you follow the story. It had a well-developed world that kept me interested. And even if I didn't agree with his methods, I was interested in watching him go through it as if we were playing a video game and the story was unfolding before me. Um, It had that quality to it. It reminded me of a video game a few times. Yeah, it did. And so not necessarily in a bad way, but you see how films and uh, cinematic qualities have been rubbing off on video games for years. Mm -hmm. You go all the way back to the original Nintendo and you'll see where they were trying to tell a story about your 8-bit characters that was in a way reminiscent of something like Terminator. And and then it was just – you've seen this steady progression where the games get to be more and more using familiar camera angles and a what sounds like a motion picture orchestra score. Mm-hmm. And you start using voice talents that sound like top billing actors and – you know, you, you eventually wind up with a video game that is a complete Jason, James Bond story that is only straight to video games, which ends up you know impacting and influencing a future James Bond movie. That's right. And but neither of them are uh, just complete copies of the other product. And so you see that kind of thing in here in this film, where well, you know, a lot of video games are shoot 'em up video games now. So what happens if you take some of the the secret sauce of what's working in the most effective video games and you apply it back to this film, this action film? And it's 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 hidden in the camera work. It's hidden in the the pace of the story. It's hidden in how, like you've already characterized, Keanu Reeves is playing the everyman who just mm-hmm. so happens to have a completely unique set of skills. <laughs> yeah, a unique set of blank faced confused where am i who am i i could be anyone look no. <laughs> but at the same time managed to kill everybody in sight that's right and so i mean but but like i said outside of that and that's that that was typically a pretty big dislike but the the fact that they build a world that i know is not my world um it takes me like i said almost into like a video game or a comic book kind of land where i suspend my my hesitations or I suspend some of like my moral qualms with things and I allow myself to, and this is, like I said, this is something that I'd probably get into on a more uh, theological level in a different place, but it allows me to personally suspend some of that, that, like I said, those moral qualms that I have and entertain what I would consider a more primal need for justice. Um, a need for justice that that flows out of me and that I think flows through most people, which is why we like or well when you see movies about revenge or you know kill all the bad guys 
to, you know, do justice. I think there's that, that bit of us that's in all of us, which is why these films tend to do really well. Even though their storylines, like you pointed out, are pretty straightforward. Get to the top of the tower. Get to the end of the, you know, the crime syndicate. You know, kill the kill the most evil guy, and justice will be served. There's some of that in all of us, and this allows me to say, let's not think so much about the redemptive violence part of it, and let's just think about the part where I enjoy uh, seeing things that I probably would never condone because <laughs> I still have this. Uh, erroneous sense of justice that I like to, to kind of feed every now and then and hopefully not too often and hopefully in a more creative way. And I would definitely say that this isn't just like watching uh, some, some shoot 'em ups. Like I said, I, I, I would harken back to the, the judge dread remake. The judge dread remake to me was you start at the bottom of the tower, you go to the top of the tower and every time you have an interaction, it just gets bigger and more explosive and more violent. And and that's their solution to make things more interesting. This one never says the next the next fight has to be more bloody. The next fight has to be uh, bigger. The next explosion doesn't have to be more ridiculous. It just he keeps doing the same thing, and so we're more focused on the world than we are about the actual violence that's taking place. Even though I don't think anyone could watch this movie and one separate themselves from the violence, or two not say that the action in the film was incredibly interesting and or if we're just being bare bones about it cool <laughs> the my last two remarks in the uh, did, did not care too much for category would be the, uh, the the filter effects that colorize the film as sort of this icky greenish blue and i talked <laughs> about this a lot before i don't want to dwell on it too much this is really prevalent in a lot of action films. When you're dealing with the underworld, you have mm-hmm. a stereotypical bluish greenish tint to everything. And, this, and TJ is not here this time, thankfully, to say, well, that's ju- that's because they're using fluorescent lights in all those scenes. And it's like, nope, 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 nope. I was thinking about it and I watched, when I was watching this film. There were plenty of moments there shouldn't have been any fluorescent lighting. And yet everything still looked like it was bathed in fluorescent lighting. Um, there was that and yep, you, I, you lose TJ and it, but it's, it's a style that I know no, they is. were going for. It wasn't a mistake. It was just something that I don't personally want to stare at for too long because it's like, you know, when, when someone is really sick and miserable and it has a fever and a cold and they're throwing up and, you know, they're in your living room and they're watching TV and you happen to come into a room and you're thinking, maybe I'll sit down and watch some TV with this member of the family. And then you look over at them and you think, you look like death warmed over. I think I will go now. I will go do something else. You are a member of my family and I really do love you, but you do not look your best right now. I'll find some other time to spend time with you. <laughs> And that's sort of the effect here. Like it just the, the, the lighting itself is so repulsive. I don't want to keep staring at this image in front of my face. And that's how I feel about the coloration that just makes everything look sick. No. And it does. And like I said, I think it's part of the style obviously. And sometimes it's definitely overdone. Uh, sometimes entire films are done that way. We mentioned how underworld is coming to Netflix. Underworld is basically all in blues. You know, they're doing like the everything's dark and shadows and there's vampires and werewolves. So everything's, you know, this everything's a shade of blue. Mm. So, you know, it's just like uh, it, it shows you that it it's dark. 
<laughs> without making it black, because if it's black, then you just can't see it at all. But if it's a shade of blue, it's like, oh, shadowy. <laughs> Uh, th- I had some other complaint, but I can't remember what it was now. <laughs> it was obviously very important. Well, and I guess maybe that's one thing about this film as a whole is even though I did enjoy it and, uh, you know, we can definitely point to many of its very good film craft values. I'm wondering how much this film is going to stick in my memory. And it's because it, there wasn't all that much that was original to it. Even though you told the story realistically, it had a lot of the the finesse to make it uh, almost true to life and entertaining while you watch it and like good world building. It's hard to point to a scene where you're like, you know that one scene when John did X, Y, and Z to that other guy? No, no you don't have that moment where it's going to really stick in your memory. So I, I don't know. Like it's not that it's a flat out forgetting, forgettable film. It's just – it's going to be easy to mistake this film for other action films in 10 and 20 years. Well, I don't know if I would go that far. Yeah. I've, I've already watched this film three times because anytime someone hasn't seen it, I want to watch it with them. Okay. And I will, I will say that I almost never, when I think about this film, think back to anything that John Wick did. Right. I'm never like, oh, you've got to see it because of how he takes down this thing in the in the discotheque. You know, like that's not almost ever what I think about. I think about like the reasons that I want people to see this film and the reasons that I can watch it over and over to make sure I didn't miss anything. And why I hope they will make a sequel is because I think about the conversation that he has in the booth with uh, like the head of the Assassin's League or whatever they're called. Yeah. Uh, I think of Perkins end that come that she comes to and how it's kind of like, what that happens and not knowing where Wick's going to go next. Hmm. Those are the things that bring me back. Like I said, this world brings me back. Like what are the implications of what happened uh, you know, things like that, not oh, specific things point. that he does. Yeah. And, and the implications of what has, have happened in this film mm-hmm. could play a major role in the sequels. So uh, that's why, that's why it's interesting to me. And I think if they make this, if they make a sequel and it makes money too, because they make it as good as they made this one, then they could easily pop this into a trilogy. And I would be proud in 20 years to be like, Oh, you haven't seen the John wick trilogy that, is crazy. <laughs> you know, like it, it wouldn't be like on my list of best movies ever, but it would definitely be worth sitting down and watching back to back to back if they all have the quality of this one. Um and I wouldn't just lose it in the it, it would be it would probably it well, it wouldn't be die hard, but it would be kind of like the the die hard, the first three die hard films to me where I I don't think that die hard 2 and 3 are cinematic classics, but Sitting down to watch the first three Die Hard movies is is definitely a fun Saturday, right? Um, so, so what what would your star rating be? So, I think good sense tells me that I should give this like three and a half out of five stars, but I just enjoy it so much that I I'm giving it four out of five stars. That weighs in. That definitely weighs in on a lot of my so, star ratings. 
Yeah, and like I said, I, I think putting it up against a whole bunch of other things, it, like I said, I think it probably should be in the three and a half range because there are some qualms with it, especially mm-hmm. uh, some objections that I obviously have to the the moral relativeness of the film. But like I said, what's it supposed to be? What should it have been? Especially based on that amazing storyline that we gave you earlier. And wh- how did it transcend that? <laughs> that to me is impressive. If any movie is supposed to be terrible and it is not only not terrible, but it is actually good and rewatchable, that, that is a very difficult thing to do. So I, I'll stick with four out of five. And I'm going to give it three and a half out of five for the reasons you basically laid out. I just don't favor it in the favorites category. Mm-mm. And that that being said, I could see that a sequel could easily change that for me. I could go back and say, ah, now with what they did to continue to build up the world of John Wick in the sequel, it makes the first film that much more interesting to me. And mm-hmm. it, it just a, a great expansion of the the story. So I'd be eager to see what they do there. Well, that's, I think that's a big step because I think uh, a day or two ago when when you asked me to be on and we were th- talking about talking about this film, you were like, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to like it at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was like, well, you know, it's not – if it was – I think it said if it was just a shoot 'em up film, then I don't think you would have had any no. right to like it. And I think right. it would have definitely not been a film that I would have expected you from the conversations we've had about film in the past to enjoy at all. And I think three and a half stars from you, it says a lot about this film. Thanks. <laughs> I guess. No, no, no. That's, that should be a positive thing because I think, like I said, I think it would take a film that has more substance than just to shoot them up to, you know, even make it above two and a half on, on, uh, in the way that I've seen you rate films in the past. Um, because I think you are very selective with some of the films and I think that's a great thing. So it's good for you. It's good yeah. for the film. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you, uh, Fizz. I think that that sums it all up for me this episode. What do you think? <laughs> oh, I think you are great. I think that does sum it up. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. We really missed TJ this episode. It changes the entire dynamic of all the bites of all the bits of this movie show. <laughs> well, there, there, there's just no indignant outrage. That's right. If, if there's anyone I can – I can count on like being just really upset about something. It's TJ. We just need to wait for the TJ commentary on this episode. That's what you should do. You should, you should, <laughs> he should like mystery science theater 3000 this episode and just like be yelling the entire time about how, uh, you know, I don't know, whatever. Cause he would have found a really good reason. Absolutely. And, you know, he would have found that thing that we forgot. It'd have been great. He, he he would either give this film two stars or four and a half stars. It's hard That's to right. say. There, there <laughs> is there is no three star in TJ land. <laughs> so, Fizz, uh, where can people find you on the internet? Well, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Fizzification, um, or you can follow my podcast, Real World Theology, at Real World Theo on Twitter. If you'd like to know more about Real World Theology, then visit the website, realworldtheology.com. It's R-E-E-L, worldtheology.com. Connect with us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, If you enjoy it, review it. Tell your friends. Let's get more people involved in the conversation. Uh, We typically review... You know, more recent films, and we kind of, kind of take a look at them not necessarily as good or bad films, 
uh, we you know we don't do star ratings. We just kind of take a look at the the narratives that they're telling, kind of some of the the moral or theological or even spiritual questions that they're asking or trying to address, and then just have a discussion about it and seeing how that's impacting culture. And it's a lot of fun and Joe gets to be on occasionally and we have great discussions. So if that interests you at all, you know, going just a little bit deeper than the surface, then it might be for you. And I'd love for you to check it out. Please do. It's a really good show. And I, I listen to every one, even if I haven't seen the film, I don't care about spoilers. Oh gosh. Well, uh, there's very, there's a couple I'm like, gosh, you really need to watch this movie before we talk about it. Um, <laughs> You're right. And I am tempted when I go back to one of these days, I will check out a film, listen, you know, watch it, then check out the real world theology commentary. Well, we just, we just put out an episode, I believe today, or I guess yesterday, whenever this episode airs on one of my favorite films of 2014 called Calvary. And if you haven't seen Calvary, then I, oh man, like I said, it, it, it was one of, it, it floored me. It was that good. Huh. And I just think everyone should see this movie in general, because I think it is, it's not unpredictable, but I think the path is the opposite of a shoot 'em up. How our character gets from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie is, is incredible. And if you like movies that have a lot of substance and a ton to talk about, and you won't be able to shake when you leave the theater that you will be thinking about in 20 years, then Calvary is that. And I hope, I hope people go see it and then you should listen to the episode about it. We have a great discussion. Thank you. I'll check that out. That one out. I'll add it to my queue. One of these days it'll show up on Netflix. Your queue. And if you want to find the show notes for this episode, visit moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 131. You can also follow Movie Byte on Twitter. Our handle is at Movie Byte. And uh, I think it is just at Movie Byte. <laughs> and if you want to find TJ, who is missing in action, he, he is TJ Draper Pro on Twitter. I am underscore Joe Darnell because the real Joe Darnell doesn't have just at Joe Darnell on Twitter. Somebody else does. And uh, that makes it uh, up for this episode. So thanks so much for listening. Ta-ta. Bye-bye.